do you know what time it is? It's supernatural story time. And if you're easily scared, and even if you're not, there's only one thing left to do. Just turn off the lights, because these are stories that you listen to only in the dark. In the Belly of the Beast, Volume 3, Story Number 1. About six months ago, I was renting an apartment in a remodeled bank building that had been renovated into apartments. The building was built around 1865 as a bank, and then was a bookstore and now apartments. The building had two entrances, one that led into the first floor apartment, which was still being renovated. At the other entrance, there were around 10 steps that led up to the second floor apartment, and then another six or seven steps that led up to the third floor apartment. I was a first renter, so I was able to get the top floor, which I thought would be good so I wouldn't be bothered by a lot of noise. I attended night classes at college, so my 16-year-old son was there in the evenings alone. Immediately, he began to tell me that he would hear people talking out in the hallway, someone walking up and down the stairs and strange banging noises. I called my landlord to verify that I was the only one to have keys to the building and to ask if she would call when showing the other apartments. I thought this would put my son at ease. After two weeks, we had a major water leak which forced me to move down one level to the second floor. Now I knew I would be the only one in the building since the first floor wasn't done and the third floor would need some work. The very first night in a new apartment I heard walking, talking, and banging coming from the upstairs. I went up to check it out since I still had a key. To my surprise there was no one there. I locked it back up and went back downstairs. The next morning when I was leaving the upstairs apartment door was wide open even though I knew that I closed and locked it. This was an ongoing event for several weeks. My daughter had some friends over one evening, and we were talking when we heard someone walk up the steps, go in the upstairs apartment, and the door slammed shut. We all went upstairs, but there was no one there. One of my daughter's friends started making comments about how he did not believe in ghosts and that he wasn't afraid, acting tough. Later, as they were leaving, I heard a loud crash and ran outside, and there was a boy lying at the bottom of the stairs, swearing that someone had shoved him down the stairs. He said he was the last one coming down the steps when he clearly felt someone shove him hard on the shoulders and push him. He was not hurt, thankfully. My sister was visiting from Pittsburgh one weekend and asked me to go upstairs and ask the neighbors to be quiet and stop slamming doors. I informed her that no one lived there. I was the only renter in the building. I finally decided to get a voice-activated recorder and placed it at the steps at night. I would check all the doors to make sure they were locked, make sure that the upstairs apartment was locked, and then record. I was amazed at the recordings. Clear footsteps, the sounds of balls being rolled down the steps, doors slamming and inaudible whispers. Needless to say, I do not live there anymore, but I am still troubled by the things that happened there. Next story. I've worked as a security guard for six years and worked on many job sites around surface mines in McDowell County and Wyoming County. One job site I worked was at the Ekman Page Surface Mine, where I sat in a guard shack at the top of the mountain at a crossroad. I enjoyed working there because it was so remote. One Sunday night in the spring of 2007, at around 10 p.m., I had to go outside and relieve myself. It had been a very clear night, and there were only a handful of workers on the job site at the time. 
I had read for most of the evening, and like most nights it was pretty uneventful, until I went outside to relieve myself. When I went outside, I immediately noticed large, bright white circular lights and a W formation of five distinct circular strange lights. It was completely silent and moving very slowly towards me. I ran back in the shack and called my wife. I checked the CB. Two of the rock truck drivers had noticed it as well. I stepped back outside, still on the phone with my wife, and watched the thing slowly float past me. They were about 20 to 30 feet above the tallest trees, and I would estimate all five of them were about half the length of a football field. I'm not sure if it was one craft or five separate crafts. The light was very intense, almost like daylight, or being under really powerful floodlights. I watched them float right on by for probably 10 minutes or so until they disappeared out of my sight over the ridge line that would be in the general direction of Anawalt. I could still see them clearly from more than a mile or more away before they disappeared. I stayed on the phone with my wife the entire time. When I spoke to the two rock drivers, they laughed it off. But I'm sure they saw it as well. I'm a skeptic. I don't believe in aliens or ghosts. This is the closest thing I've ever had that falls into the realm of the paranormal in my life. I'm not sure if I saw some sort of top-secret government planes or blimps, or if it was a UFO. I've never seen anything like it since, and I'll never forget what I saw. And I hope to never again. Next story. In early 1983, my then-husband and I moved into our first house off Mud River Road in Barbersville, West Virginia. We had to do some painting and such, but we thought we'd be able to have a comfortable home along with a nice yard. Wrong. From the moment I entered the house, it seemed that something was just not right. I was afraid to go into the bedroom closet, and I felt eyes upon me wherever I was. At times, I would sit out on the porch until 2 a.m. waiting on my husband to come home, because I was terrified to be in the house alone. I would even feel someone lying on me in bed at night. But nobody was there but me. Sometimes it sounded like a 300-pound man walking in the attic over our bed, and my husband on many occasions took a gun upstairs to see who had invaded the house. Nothing was moved, and nobody was there. I would feel breath on my neck, and when I would be in the shower, something would pound on the ceiling over me. Nobody was there but me. We had a psychic come to our house, and he indicated that the spirit was not malevolent and not a threat to anyone. Evidently, it was a man who had lived on the land in the 1800s, and I reminded him of someone he once loved. I guess he followed me around trying to get my attention, and believe me, he did. I survived three years in that house, and left when my marriage broke up. Since I was not comfortable in the house anyway, I made the decision to be the one to leave. My husband said that the day I left, all noises stopped. The ghost was gone. Of course... This had me looking over my shoulder ever since then, and when something weird happens, I still wonder if I don't have a spirit as a secret admirer. The next story. For a very long time, people have told me about the white thing of Ragland, West Virginia, a small community outside of Del Barton in Mingo County. Several trusted friends of mine have told of their encounters with the thing. One friend said it could run faster than anything he'd ever seen in his life, and that it stood up on two legs like a man and was tall. The other two friends were on an ATV beside the railroad tracks at the edge of dark and saw a thing run across their path on four legs like a dog, then jump on a stack of railroad ties that were about four and a half feet tall 
on two legs before leaping in excess of ten feet to the hillside. These boys, fifteen and sixteen at the time, were very shaken up and crying when they returned home. I don't know anything else about the thing in Ragland other than that I trust and believe my friends a hundred percent. They aren't the only ones who have had these experiences. All I could link them possibly to is the reported satanic worship that was said to have taken place in the bottom up the road from 24 Hollow, which is right besides PEC, a battery shop in Ragland. Next story. This story took place near Parkersburg, West Virginia, years ago, when my dad was a young teenager. He's now 54. My dad, one of his cousins, and a few friends often went camping in the woods located behind a house my dad grew up in. My dad knew these woods like the back of his hand. They wanted to go a little further this time and check out what lay beyond what he was already familiar with. While deep in the woods, it started raining very hard, and they ended up getting lost. They came upon an old abandoned house sitting in the middle of the woods, so they decided to go in and take shelter from the rain. By this time it was dark, so the only light they had were flashlights. My dad told me he hesitated on going in because it looked like there were bullet holes in the door, but they ended up going in anyway. They explored the house as boys do, at an upstairs with a very narrow hallway, three small rooms upstairs, a living room downstairs, and a small kitchen. He said there was what appeared to be a dirt cellar, and the entrance was through the kitchen. They were not brave enough to go down there. When the boys took their camping gear off and went upstairs to explore, they heard what sounded like heavy footsteps and the front door slammed downstairs. They ran down the steps, only to find that all of their gear had been pushed into a pile in the middle of the living room floor. They were terrified, but by this time it was storming so hard that they couldn't possibly trudge through the woods, so they decided against their better judgment to stay. They positioned themselves in a circle, feet in the middle, so they could see around them. When they were all settled in, they heard footsteps upstairs, the same heavy footsteps, so they grabbed their flashlights and headed up the steps. Halfway up, they heard a door up there slam, yet they continued up, forgetting that none of the rooms had any doors. Once upstairs, they heard the door downstairs slam, so again they ran down, only to find the things piled high and shoved against the front door. This was enough to make the boys run out the door, leaving everything behind. Dad told me they had blindly stumbled upon a small rock shelter that allowed them shelter from the rain. The next morning, they went back to get their belongings, and the holes in the door were gone. Their things were gone. The entrance to the cellar was gone and there were doors on the rooms upstairs. They tried to find that place several years later and couldn't find the house. My dad still gets goosebumps and his hair still stands on end when he talks about it. Next story. When I was 21 years old, my new husband's family offered to sell us a house that had been in this family for generations at an incredibly cheap price. They had a difficult time keeping it rented and didn't want to hassle with it anymore. We jumped at the opportunity and moved in almost immediately. It was only a matter of hours before strange things began to happen. It did not take me long to decide there was something or someone else other than us in that house. Almost every night, we would hear something coming up the staircase. The steps were old, so you could hear every creak. Nick, my husband, would jump out of bed whenever he heard it to go make sure that someone hadn't broken in. It would always end the same. 
no one was there. The ghosts appeared to get braver as time went on. We could hear the steps eventually come down the hall. They were getting a little closer to our bedroom door with each visit. Finally, the night came that we had both been dreading. Nick was sound asleep, exhausted from working hours of overtime. I heard the steps, dared to pass the doorway of our bedroom and enter our room. I felt slightly aware of something or someone approached the side of the bed I had my back turned to, but I was afraid to look. I just kept my face in Nick's chest and closed my eyes tightly. I felt as though there was someone right behind me, right behind my head, just staring at me. I knew one thing for sure. I was not going to turn around to check. I just wanted to fall back to sleep as soon as possible. My hand searched under the covers for Nick's hand. I very softly and quietly moved my hand beneath his big palm. I didn't want to disturb him. I just knew it would make me feel better if his hand was lying on top of mine. My back felt ice cold. I tried to bring the covers up tighter around my neck and back. That's when I felt it. Something moved briefly on the bed behind me. I didn't acknowledge it. I forced myself to say as still as if I were asleep. I felt that if I absolutely reacted, I would see something horrible, so I didn't turn around. I didn't move. That seemed to upset whatever was behind me. I felt the bed move again, but just ever so slightly. I felt that whatever was behind me was close to me. It was almost touching my hair. I had the feeling on my scalp similar to when you have static electricity in your hair. I was sure it must almost be standing on end. I rubbed Nick's palm with the back of my hand. I think I was actually trying to wake him, but trying to do it quietly, so whatever was behind me would not notice. It didn't work. Nick just grunted a moment and then took another deep breath. He was still sound asleep. I felt another movement on the bed directly behind me again. I actually could feel the blanket I had wrapped so tightly around me tug on me a bit as if someone had laid some weight on it behind me. I was sure that something was trying to get even closer to me. Suddenly I felt air blow on my cheek. It was just the same as if someone had breathed on me except it was a lot colder, ice cold. I tried rubbing Nick's hand again, only I did it more aggressively this time. He moaned a little and turned to face me, laying his arm across my side. That made me feel a little better. If there was someone or something directly behind me, he would have struck them with his hand when he put his arm around me. I no sooner had that thought when Nick's arm went flying off of me and back towards him. It was as if someone had picked up his arm and flung it off of me. At the same exact moment, I felt a very strong tug on my hair and heard a whisper in my ear. Get out of my room. The word struck me like a knife in my stomach. It was a very raspy, mean voice. I woke Nick instantly, but once again, there was no one there. Many things happened in that house. We only lived there for 36 days. 36 days of pure mental hell. That was when I started to believe in ghosts and spirit hauntings. It forever changed how I view things. Next story. My Uncle Tony told me this story right before I left for basic training in 2008. In Genoa, West Virginia and Wayne County, my family owns a small farm. We only have a single cabin on the grounds and it's used for recreational purposes only. I've grown up hunting there along with my brother, my grandfather, received the land by being passed down 
from my great-great-grandfather who once lived in this extremely rural area. He once had a house there in the early 1900s, but it was lost in a fire. In the late 1990s, my grandfather decided to clean the 70 acres of land and build a cabin to escape from everyone and everything. But even before these days, my family explored the land hunting and chopping the aged trees for firewood. My uncle Tony and his brother, before he joined the service, used to go camping beyond the area of my family's farm into an area they called the Kiwaili. The Kiwaili is so rural, the roads cannot be seen on maps, and the road disappears into the creek and heads into the forest near East Lynn Lake. Once, according to my uncle Tony's account, he, his brother, and his best friend decided to go camping in the Kiwaili. They had built a cabin out in the wilderness, which they stayed in when they went hunting in the fall, but they hadn't visited the cabin since the past fall. They stayed there for a couple of nights when they started noticing sounds of an animal circling the cabin around 1 a.m. every night. My uncle, knowing the sounds of animals, said that this creature made a sound he didn't recognize, a deep, slow breathing. He said at first they thought it was possibly a bear, but on the third night, something struck them all three as odd. What happened next, my uncle told me, to this day sends chills up his spine every time he enters the woods. Around 1 a.m., they heard the same animals circling the cabin, but this time it was extremely close, got closer and closer, and suddenly there was a silence. My uncle, his brother, and friend were tense over the situation, needless to say, especially since the animal had stopped directly to the left of the cabin's entrance. In the front of the cabin, there was a porch. My uncle waited for 30 minutes, but still there were no sounds of movement. After waiting, my uncle was nervous, so he grabbed his gun and loaded it. Just as he loaded the last bullet, the animal stepped on the porch. This got all three men to jump to their feet. What was also peculiar was the fact that it seemed as if the animal had two feet instead of four legs. The creature took a step and another. It stepped until it was directly in front of the door. My uncle then shouted, If you take one more step, I'll unload my gun on you. There was no sound. They waited for five minutes or so, and then whatever it was, unfortunately, took another step. I'm going to count to three. If you don't identify yourself, I'll shoot you. I promise, my uncle said. No sound. Just the wind blowing and the crackle of the fire. After 15 minutes had passed, my uncle decided to move into the next room of the cabin just to be safe. He didn't want to hurt anyone, so he decided to let whomever or whatever have a pass that night. But the creature had other plans. My uncle, his brother, and friend decided to just go to sleep in the next room and let the noise be left alone. Just as they went to sleep, the creature awakened them by walking on the porch, which creaked on its every step. The creaking stopped on the porch right in front of the window. My uncle had enough. He gave another warning, the same, don't take another step, but this time the creature did take another step. My uncle unloaded his gun through the window and he said you could hear the creature take off from the porch and tear through the woods. He, his brother, and friend, in a rush of adrenaline, tore out of the cabin after it. Following a fresh blood trail and using coon lights, they followed the blood trail through the brush and cattail by the lake's edge and then up a mountain. When they reached the top of the mountain, they were surprised to find an old building, possibly a schoolhouse or church left behind from when the old mining town 
of Eastland was booming before they flooded the town and created Eastland Lake. The blood trail led into a large hole on the side of the building. It was barely daylight now, and they could see just enough to get the boards off the door to get inside the building. What they found was very peculiar and sends a lot of questions through my mind. Toward the back of the building, the boards were torn from the structure and the dirt from the ground was visible. There was an imprint in the ground approximately seven feet long. The imprint, my uncle said, reminded him of what you see when you look at a typical dog house, when a dog digs him a spot to sleep. An indentation in the earth with no grass and nearly a foot deep. Around this large hole were animal bones piled up. The blood trail was lost. Just as soon as they had made the discovery, it began to rain. My uncle, his brother, and friend were terrified. What animal would leave such a huge imprint on the ground? A wild dog? His answer would soon be answered a few years later. After my uncle found this discovery, he and his brother decided they would not stay in the cabin they had built so deep in the woods. Instead, they would stay at my farm, which was approximately 25 minutes away, and it was also closer if anything were to happen unexpectedly. Three years passed since they had the run-in with a creature at the cabin, and my uncle had not experienced any other paranormal activity over the past three years. But this year, more unexpected things were going to happen, and a possible explanation for his earlier run-in was just around the corner. My uncle said that while he was hunting, he met the border landowner hunting one day along the fence line. The owner asked my uncle if he had seen anyone else in the land, and my uncle said no and asked why. The landowner stated that a few of his horses he had found were not only dead, but their throats from their jawbones to the breastplate had been removed by some type of animal or person. My uncle said he would keep a lookout for anyone during his hunting trip and let him know by the end of his time hunting. A week passed, and it was time for my uncle to go home. He packed all his things up and headed to see the old man who owned the horses to tell him he hadn't seen anything peculiar. He drove to the old man's house, told him and headed out the gravel road towards Drift. My uncle then said as he passed the old man's horse pasture, he noticed a horse at the fence line, which was panicking and letting out a horrible screech. He stopped his jeep and got out. Just then he said as soon as he shut the door to his jeep, a creature jumped from off the fence line and cleared the road in a single jump. It passed the lights of his jeep, so he got a clear look at its backside. He said it was about six feet tall, with sharp claws, and it was hairy with grayish fur. It wasn't human-like, like a description of Bigfoot, but it was no coyote or other predator. This creature was on two legs. He swears his story is the truth, and I believe him, after his service of a lifetime in the armed forces. He said he doesn't have an explanation, but he feels the experience he had at the cabin and the beast he saw clear a 15-foot road are one and the same. He hasn't seen it since, and I haven't seen anything of the sort, but he swears by the story, and it makes you wonder if the story of the Kiawili wild thing may just be true. Next story. As a child, I grew up in Delfield, West Virginia. My brothers and I would walk down the tracks going to a store in Shenandoah Junction. We would often pass an old house nestled between two orchards. The house was said to be the house of Screaming Jenny. I have listened to many stories about this place, but never heard or saw anything. 
that would change on a summer day in July. One afternoon, my brother and I were walking down the tracks. As we got closer to the house, I noticed what looked like a darkness or night surrounding the house. In my disbelief, I asked my brother if he saw what was happening. He said yes, and I could tell that he was frightened. He told me to keep walking and not to look up. As we traveled on, we passed directly across from the house. I could see it was very dark and decided to look. What I saw was a woman in an old gray dress with a white brooch, the type worn during the Civil War or earlier. As I looked at her, she motioned with her hand for me to come to her. She was on the second floor in the top, far left window. As I looked, I could see only her eyes, which were black. I now knew that all the stories about Screaming Jenny were true. I also saw her that evening as I was getting water from the creek. As I was dipping the bucket into the creek, I saw her reflection. This would be the last time that I saw her. Later as an adult, my wife and I went back there to see the house. To our surprise, the house was overgrown with weeds and honeysuckle. The only part visible was the roof. Next story. I moved to West Virginia for a second year at being a climbing guide. I loved the work in the area and couldn't be kept away. Instead of living in a campground, my friend Aaron and I decided to rent a house a few miles away from work. This would allow us to stay later into the fall season. Our house was newer compared to the 1800s farmhouses found in the town. It was probably built in the 1950s. It was a solid brick house that sat in one acre indent in a farmer's field. The house was surrounded on three sides by pastures and a beautiful mountain towered over the backyard. It seemed like a cozy house. About a week into living there, I was standing in the kitchen making lunch when the knife I was using spun around and then flew off the counter around the room. I laughed it often, went on with the rest of my day. Shortly after that, my eyes kept getting drawn to the doorway between my kitchen and the living room. There was always a sense that someone was just standing in the doorway. Next to that doorway were the basement steps and could always hear creaking on them as if someone was just hiding there. Sometimes it would sound like someone walking up and down the steps. It was unsettling, so I would normally keep the basement door shut and locked. Just like most houses on farms, there was a problem with mice. They would sometimes just run through the room you were sitting on and they could be heard crawling through the walls. The noises they made became normal and we just seemed to ignore it and any small bumps or scratches we heard. One night, however, there were different noises coming from the attic which sounded like footsteps. These were human footsteps and not the bitter patter of little mouse feet. I woke Aaron who heard the noises as well. We decided to take the shotgun and see who was up in the attic. Carefully, we opened the drop-down ladder and crawled up. There wasn't anyone there. The floor was dusty, and we left footprints in the dust as we walked. There was also no way to get in the attic from outside. From that point on, the activity in the house picked up. Laying in bed at night, I would hear conversations going on through my wall. It sounded like a man and a woman talking. One morning, I walked into the kitchen and noticed Aaron asleep on the couch, with his gun laying across his chest. He woke when told me that there was something crawling around on the floor all night. It was small, like a child, and was just running around the living room. The house seemed to have a few ghosts. There was a playful child, an elderly couple, and a man. The child's spirit was playful, 
and more like a prankster. The elderly couple seemed as if they were watching us, but the man just seemed to be bad. I told my friend what had been happening in the house since she had lived there before us. She asked if I had seen the picture in the basement. She didn't say much else about it. I had not and decided to go looking for it. In my basement, there was one side full of the landlord's things and stacks of antiques. Digging through them, I found a stack of old pictures. There were pictures of an elderly couple, as well as a man that was just unpleasant. I couldn't help but think that these were the spirits in the house. Amongst the antiques were ledger books with locals' names in them. The books were from years before, showing the neighbors paying thousands of dollars to someone. Moonshine is very popular in this area, and the house was full of cupboards, with shelves just big enough to hold mason jars, and some were still full of jars. The house also had a security system, which is odd for an area with such low crime. Aaron would leave me there alone a lot to go to work in the next town over. The nights I was there alone, I was sure to sleep with a gun next to me, just in case. Laying in bed at night, I would hear the front door open and close. It couldn't because I had locked it. The sound just became something I ignored. There was a night I was tired and didn't get the gun out of his room to leave next to my bed. That night I woke up to hearing my kitchen chair sliding across the kitchen and slamming into the cupboards. Following that, I heard footsteps go into the living room. I flipped on the lights, ran down the hall into Aaron's room, and loaded the gun. I slowly opened the door and heard the floor creaking in the living room. As I walked through the house, I flipped on the lights in each room and checked them out. There wasn't anyone there. All the doors and windows were shut and locked. One of the best feelings in the world was when I moved out of that house. It was as if something had been lifted off of me. Going off of the feelings and occurrences in the house, I wonder if there was another house on the property before and the spirits were connected to the land. There's also part of me that thinks something happened there while someone was storing moonshine. The following year, some friends of mine moved into the house. They claimed to have had many of the same experiences. Most of the experiences targeted the one girl living there. One thing is for sure. I have no intentions of ever going back inside that house.